בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, שבוע טוב, שבוע מבורך, We are back on a new week, some new שיעורים בעזרת השם. Uh, tonight we're going to continue our series of the uh, Jewish Ashkafa, which is uh, what is the right Jewish ideology based on our sages, not based on our own mind, our own delusions, or uh, the uh, wicked among society, uh, based on the teachings of uh, the Sefer called Emunah Bitachon by the Chazonish, one of the Gedolei uh, Ador from the previous generation. Uh, tonight's uh, shiur will be for a uh, refuah shlema for Rabbanit uh, Levana Bat Sara, Rabbanit uh, uh, Sara Bat Anat, uh, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, um, uh, Sara Bat uh, Levana, Doris Bat Jora, David Ben Esriya, uh, Orit Bat Ilana, Talia Bat Sara, Itro Ben Avraham, and um, uh, Joshua Ben Noach. Alex Ben Noach, and also for a Atzlacha uh, Raba for Marsha Bat Julie, Ayla Bat Marsha, uh, Samuel Ben Marsha, Sefas Ben Marsha, Alexander Ben Marsha, Louis Ben Marsha, Shaul Ben Farzane, Itro Ben Avram, Oshri Ben Doris, Gabi Ben Doris, Elad Ben Doris, David Ben Esriya, and also Ruven uh, Chaim uh, Ben Pala Parel, and Netanel Yosef Ben Avram. And also, for all of the wonderful people that continue to contribute, continue to help us, continue to partner with us in all the different uh, projects that we do, Baruch Hashem. Um, there's uh, quite a bit of uh, updates, things going on, but uh, there's a lot of material. And uh, I really want to focus on the topic at hand uh, that apparently is... Uh, uh, is causing some uh, Jewish people among us to, uh, you know, become a little more frazzled. Uh, now, uh, admittedly, I never watched the show, uh, but there's apparently a new show by a uh, group of wicked Jews uh, led by one particular wicked Jewish woman uh, called uh, Unorthodox uh, on, uh, the, um, uh, on Netflix. And uh, I've gotten a few, a few people to send me messages, some people that I know, some people that I don't know, uh, most people that I don't know, uh, you know, telling me all types of things. And uh, to be quite frank with you, it was uh, very disappointing uh, to hear some of the uh, comments that people are saying. Uh, because uh, instead of saying this is, uh, you know, this is wickedness, this is wrong, this is this, you know, this is pretty much to, to call it as it is, uh, people are, you know, a few people have told me, oh, this is causing me to have chalishuta dat, or, uh, you know, weakness in emuna, weakness in, in my understanding, you know, how is it that such a wicked person uh, that this woman behind the show is, uh, you know, that she left the derech, married a goy, uh, and uh, pretty much converted all, almost all of her kids to her new ideology of, of, of heresy and pritzut, immodesty, immorality, and uh, the uh, couple of titbits that uh, I was shown, uh, I couldn't really watch more than a few titbits just simply because anytime it's not her face, uh, it's something that's complete, like, nakedness. I mean, these people... Uh, have no concept of modesty whatsoever, and in fact, she. Uh, one thing that I did hear her say, from my uh, with my own ears, 
is that uh, her uh, new objective in life, her new goal in life, is to make as many immodest uh, uh, clothes as possible with every short miniskirt that she uh, gets a woman to wear. She feels a sense of achievement. And Be'ezrat Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will uproot these people from the world if they do not do tshuva beforehand. Uh, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. Uh, why this actually, this is a good show. Uh, so it sounds a little confusing. How could it be on one hand, I'm saying that Hashem should uproot them unless they do tshuva. On another hand, I'm saying this is a good show. Not a good show to watch, but it's a good show for the world. It's a good show for the times. Uh, it's in fact fulfilling a prophecy. That's how great the show is. The show unorthodox is fulfilling a prophecy. Now, the, uh, the important thing to know is that anytime a person has a question, anytime a person has a question, they should know. If they studied enough Torah during that week, they would have had an answer for that question from that week's parasha. If they did not study Torah that week, then of course they're left with no answers, they're left confused, they're left with weakening emuna. they're left with uh, all types of confusions, they're left, they're left abandoned, as if somebody abandoned them. They abandoned themselves, which again, we'll discuss tonight. So, for all of those that uh, do not know, you can now watch our lectures live on our Be'ezrat Hashem app, uh, it's Baruch Hashem, a kosher app, the most kosher app in existence because we don't allow any commercials unless they're going to pay us a billion dollars. I'm just kidding. Uh, we don't allow any commercials, not on our YouTube channel, not on our app, of course. No way. We don't allow any commercials uh, for countless reasons. One of them obviously being the, the fact that we can't control them in immorality, but there's other factors also, which is that we don't want anyone to think of anything other than Torah while they're watching our lectures. That's really the biggest reason. So it doesn't matter what the price is, so it doesn't matter how many offers we keep getting every week from different uh, venues and organizations because Baruch Hashem, the channels continue to grow, the popularity continues to grow. So as much as a, uh, you continue to grow, people want to advertise on your network. Uh, and uh, the answer is always the same, no, no, no. And sometimes we just simply ignore it uh, and just press this wonderful button on the computer called delete. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, the, uh, the, the app is now uh, able and capable to have our shiur live. Now, we had uh, launched this last week. It had a little bit of a uh, hiccup where it stopped doing the live feed after an hour. From my perspective, since I see just the screen, I didn't know that the live feed stopped recording uh, on the app after one hour to me it continued recording so I, you don't bother sending me messages telling me start something don't start something i don't look at my phone or anything else during the lectures because it'll work and it'll continue more than an hour if it doesn't then you could always go to uh our facebook page that has the live feed uh, run the whole time Hashem, or you could simply just wait till tomorrow when we post it on our many channels on youtube and so on also, good news that we uh, um, have now uh, uh, developed uh, or expanded our uh, podcast. Uh, it's now on iTunes, Apple iTunes, and on uh, Spotify, and on Google, and a bunch of other places, Bo Hashem. 
So that uh, that's uh, out there. We haven't advertised it yet simply because we haven't had the time yet. But nonetheless, uh, it's if you look for it there, you'll find it there. So Baruch Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu is allowing the Torah that we have to spread in all corners of the world. Uh, one last update and then we'll continue with the shoe. For those of you that are asking me about what's going on with Rudy Roshman, uh, I'm sorry to tell you there hasn't been any updates yet that are of meaning. I could tell you a million and a half stories, but it's really of no value. Uh, there is simply nothing. They're still, to my knowledge, they're still in prison and we are doing everything we possibly can uh, to, 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 to do something about it. And uh, Hashem has not opened the gates of heaven yet. Uh, you know, and uh, Hashem, He will soon. He will soon open the gates of, uh, of, of heaven to allow us to, uh, to uh, get these boys out of there. Uh, I, uh, you know, it's uh, very uh, disturbing to say the least, but there's not much that can be done. Uh, for those of you that keep sending me contacts that you have of somebody that knows somebody that works with some company or some, you know, somebody in, in, in Nigeria, thank you. You don't need to send those anymore. We already have plenty of contacts. We've talked to countless people. Uh, if anybody has a direct contact with the president of Nigeria, that's worth something to me. Everything else we already have uh, multiples of. And again, with all due respect to the efforts that everybody has, uh, no need to, to send me on goose chases to talk to somebody, to talk to somebody. And a few of these somebodies, in reality, I only found out after I spoke to them that all they really wanted was for me to uh, invest in their business or to get other investors to invest in them. Say, hey, listen, can you talk to them? But then maybe you could invest in my company. And like, what? Like, now you picked the time for me. Like, this, this is the time you picked to, to pitch me your business? Like, people are ruthless. Ruthless. Like, it's just like, it's, it's just, so please, please, if you have a direct contact with the president or the head of DSS, like direct contact, meaning you call, he picks up, then you can tell me and, and, and then perhaps we can do something with it because we have a confidential uh, message for that person that we'd like to deliver. But other than that, there's really no value for anything else with all due respect to everybody. Uh, with that being said, we pray and we ask for all of you to pray for the release of these three young men, or actually it's four people because there's a woman also uh that's uh that's uh from nigeria that's in there as well and uh they're all in prison uh you know some are telling us they're in good condition some not so much only a kadosh who knows uh what exactly is really happening but Be'ezat Hashem, you know good things will happen now i, I know that the uh the family till now the, does not want uh this to be in the media uh, hence the reason why as popular as uh, Rudy is, uh, you don't really see that much media coverage by it. It seems like it's more, it's orchestrated to be that way. Uh, everybody has their own strategy with all due respect to everyone. But the point is, is that, uh, you know, if, if you start some, one of these campaigns or anything else, don't be surprised if you get a message from a, you know, from the family or a friend of the family telling you to get it, get it offline. They simply don't want it. They have their own strategy. Uh, so that's that. So that's also why our, uh, our approach has changed somewhat, uh, to be a little bit more behind the scenes. Uh, now, uh, in regards to 
the situation that's going on in the world today, we have obviously a lot of confusion in the world by people that put themselves in a situation to become confused. Confusion, you're never going to find confusion at the house of Rav Kanievsky. You're never going to have confusion found at the house of Rav Ovadia. You're never going to have confusion found at the house of the giant Torah scholars or even people that you've never heard of but have dedicated their life to Torah, to mitzvot, to become Avdei Hashem, to become servants of Hashem. I even have somebody tell me, listen, I have a lot of problems in my life. And this is a person that pretty much attends every single one of the shurim that we've ever had. And uh, he says, I have an enormous amount of problems in my life, health issues, this issue, that issue, every issue you could possibly imagine. Some issues went away. Some issues are still there. Long story short, he says, I have problems up to here. Up to here already I have problems. And he says, sometimes I just want to run away. Sometimes I just want to get in the car on Shabbat and just drive somewhere and like, you know, never, never park again. And I said, okay, well, why don't you? You know, I'm interested. Why, why don't you? He says, because what does this all have to do with Hashem? What is, what is me having problems with my wife, with my kids, with my husband, with my this, with my that? What does all of that have to do with betraying God? I said, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. That's the right answer. Meaning, just because you have problems does not mean that you have to become a traitor. Just because you have problems does not mean that it's, it's okay for you to completely negate all of the good that Hashem is giving you. But unfortunately, many times that you hear these God-awful stories of people that uh, you know left the Torah path, left the Torah life, and uh, became what they have become, you know, many times despicable human beings that are a disgrace to mankind altogether. Uh, you know, a, uh, and I saw this uh, one particular uh, guy, uh, he uh, changed his gender, now he's a girl, and somehow he's invited to uh, apparently synagogues to speak on behalf of LGBT as an orthodox woman, even though he's a man. So obviously this is a chilul Hashem for anybody to, to host such a person, and needless to say, to allow such a person to speak, but you know, this is the least of our problems, unfortunately, because there are just so many. Uh, it's not a small problem, it's just the least of the problems because there are so many others, so many bigger problems out there. But nonetheless, you see a lot of these situations where you have this one guy in Germany who completely left the Torah path but didn't want to leave the Torah path. He, he left the Torah path as far as following the mitzvot, but he's now a rabbi in Germany, which one of our dear students in Germany did a whole shiur about this rasha, who pretty much you know, has a congregation where they just do all the songs and they do kiddush and then they cook on Shabbat together. And he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in anything. He, uh, But he likes to call himself rabbi and he likes to, you know, be immodest and immoral and disgusting and filthy. But nonetheless, he uh, he's one of those situations that's in Germany. And then you have it obviously in America. And I'm sure you have it in, uh, you know, in, in Israel. And you have it all over the world, these people. Uh, and I remember just a, a few years ago, there was a wicked woman that uh, thought it was cute to uh, take tefillin and wrap her body uh, with it and take pictures of herself or somebody taking pictures of her putting on tefillin. 
Baruch Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu let her know what he thought of those pictures when he paralyzed her completely uh, shortly after she took those pictures. And Be'ezat Hashem, this too will happen to all of the others. They like to desecrate Hashem's name in public. Uh, and this is, again, this is actually Kiddush Hashem. Believe it or not, she did Kiddush Hashem. Hashem himself took it upon himself to do Kiddush Hashem. But this doesn't happen as often as we would think because you have shows like this Netflix Unorthodox. Uh, this is not the first show, uh, but apparently this is causing the most recent ruffle among others. So, question is, why are you watching TV in the first place? Why are you watching Netflix in the first place? Why are you watching TV as a Jew in the first place? Now, if you're going to say, yo, we're more modern, so therefore, you know, we're allowed. No, no. You're modern, so therefore you simply don't think that the Stipler Gaon, the father of Rav Kanievsky, saying that watching television in your house, the news, the movies, is 100% idolatry, you think the Stipler was exaggerating. You think the Stipler doesn't count. You think that all of the Doleado that said it's forbidden to do such a thing, you simply care less because you think that just because you're under the umbrella of modern orthodoxy therefore it allows you to simply disregard all of what the sages have said in recent history so why are you surprised that your kids want to become like the people on tv why are you surprised that your son brought you a non-jewish girl to marry why are you surprised that your daughter is pregnant before she got married and perhaps has a a carlos or a juan that's uh that's the father of that baby and he's not of a uh, jewish heritage why why do you why are you surprised of all of those things when your wife wants to wear a wig longer than the exile if she wears anything to begin with why why are you surprised at all these things and the question is rabotai is are we really being honest are we being intellectually honest because this show unorthodox shouldn't be affecting a single jew in the world why because if we all did what we're supposed to be doing we wouldn't even know the show exists but unfortunately many people do and many people not only know it exists they watch it and then they say "Ugh, it's disgusting it's terrible i don't understand if it's disgusting it's terrible how did you sit through an entire show how did you sit through how do you allow yourself why do you think this show is any worse than all the other garbage movies that you allow yourself and your kids to watch all of these superhero films all of the scary movies why do you think it's okay no no it's okay to watch the scary movies but it's not okay for the rabbi to tell you about the scary truth rabbi you're scary talking about Gehenna oh I'm scary talking about Gehenna but it's not scary to watch Freddy Krueger and Jason and all of these other people just kill people for fun that's not scary you're actually paying for that the logic of people is so warped that if it wasn't for our understanding that there is an evil inclination we simply would declare that society is full of insane people because it doesn't make any sense but nonetheless, Abutai, this is what the Shiur is about. And that's exactly what the Chazonish is talking about. Let's see. Chazonish, over the last several Shiurim, has told us that in order for us to become people of, that have the right Jewish ideology, the right Jewish ideology, 
A person has to include themselves among the Torah learners. You may not necessarily be able or have the tools to learn Torah for a living, with that's what you do day and night as an avrech and so on, but that does not exclude you from learning. You still have to learn, male or female. Every Jew has to learn Torah. You have to learn how to live like a Jew. You have to learn the weekly parasha. You have to learn the uh, the uh, laws of, of how to be a Jew, how to have a kosher kitchen, how to observe Shabbat and holidays, and so on and so forth. You have to learn these things. You also have to learn Musal, which is to know how to implement those laws, all of those intricate laws into your day-to-day life. How to use those laws in order to become a more ethical business person, how to become a better teacher, how to become a better student, how to become a better human being. The whole point of the laws is to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu while making yourself a better quality and more ethical human being. But by using the laws to do that, not by using your logic, because just like the Rambam says, if a Noahide, a non-Jew, follows the Noahide laws, follows the Noahide laws because God said it, he gets to go to Olamaba, he gets to go to heaven. But if a Noahide follows the seven Noahide laws, the Noahide laws, not just obviously the seven, there's also logical laws, but nonetheless, Rambam quotes specifically the Noahide laws. If a Noahide follows the Noahide laws only because of his own logic, he is not going to get rewarded and go to heaven for that. And in fact, is considered among the fools of creation because he did all the work and he's not going to get rewarded for it. From here, we also learn that if obviously a Noahide is judged this way, needless to say, we ourselves have to reflect. We can't just think that, oh, we're going to use the mitzvot whenever we feel like it, and we're not going to use the mitzvot when we don't feel like it. And if we can have a better way to become ethical than what the Torah says, then we should use that. There is no better than the Torah. That's one one of the main uh, principles that a person needs to understand as part of their Jewish ideology, there is no better than the Torah. If you found something that you view as better than the Torah, that means you do not know enough Torah. Simple. End of story. Now, unfortunately, many times when people sin and they go against the Torah, their mind gets cloudy, their vision is completely blurry, and they start having all types of strange thoughts, strange ideas, and uh, as we've obviously discussed many times over the years, this is the, uh, the outcome of those heretics that we've mentioned so many times over the years, where you see them coming up with foreign thoughts, things that are foreign to the Torah, as if they're original thoughts, as if they're even thoughts of the sages. You know, it's obviously all make pretend, but unfortunately they rely just like the church they rely on the ignorance of people they know that people are not going to check and if they say rambam said such and such people are just going to believe them that rambam actually said it even though rambam said the exact opposite but that's that's sabotai our fault more than it is theirs they are evil but we are at fault why we're at fault if we studied as much as we're supposed to if we fulfilled our own obligation we wouldn't fall trapped for such evil people so that's why the chazonish 
has said time and time again over the last several lectures that you have to learn Musar, you have to learn Alakha. But you can't learn one without the other. You can't just learn Musar and think you're going to become an ethical person just because you learn Musar. You can't just learn Alakha and think that you are an observant Jew just because you learn Alakha. One goes with the other. You cannot do one without the other. They go together. And in fact, you have to learn enough to fall in love with it. Now, how could one fall in love with it? Let's see. In the third chapter, section number 20, the Chazonis brings up a Gemara in Masechet Menachot, page 18a. And he says the following. In the Gemara, Masechet Menachot, page 18a, it says the following. Rabbi Kadosh, which is Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, said a teaching. What is this teaching? A story, a story that he himself experienced. Many times in the Gemara, the sages teach us through the stories of their own life. That's the reason why the Gemara says that the sages, their, their Torah is so critical that even their idle talk is something that needs to be studied. Even their idle talk, because their idle talk is not idle talk like us. Their idle talk is Torah also. And in fact, the Gemara specifically says, that if you have a rabbi, one of the most important things, one of the most important things that you need to understand as far as your own growth, your own servitude of Hashem, your own uh, uh, acquiring of Torah is to do something called shimush. What's shimush? Serving the rabbi, being there for the rabbi in whatever capacity that you can, being next to them in a room and, and listening to him, during the shiur, after the shiur, see if you can help, see how he manages his day-to-day life. Simply put, be next to the rabbi as often as you possibly can and as often as he would allow you to. Why? Because shimush, shimush is what it's called, is how you're going to learn the parts that he doesn't teach in the, in the shiurim. You're going to learn how he applies the Torah to real life. Because not everything is always textbook. Not everything is always simple to understand and not necessarily always there's something assure about something. But when you see how the rabbi behaves in his day-to-day lives, how he conducts business, how he uh, conducts himself in any way, shape, or form, you see the Torah in real life. That's why the Chachamim said in the Gemara that Shimush is even higher than learning from the rabbi Shiu. That's how extraordinary Shimush is. And that's why many times when people ask, you know, uh, where, you know, where did you learn? They're not asking you, what's the name of the yeshiva that you went to? They're asking you, what is the rabbi that you served under, that you were next to for many years, that you call every time you have an issue, that you uh, are constantly confiding in? Who is that? Who's the, where did you get that? If you tell them, oh, listen, no, I have a, uh, uh, I read books. I read my books. I have a lot of books in the house. And uh, whenever I have a question, I either go to Google or I send uh, a question on uh, text message to somebody. And that's it. Uh, you know, whoever answers first, that's who my rabbi is for that day. I'm sorry to tell you that's not shimush. It's good that you ask the questions, but that's not shimush. And you're never going to get high in the world of Torah that way. So, Rabbi Kadosh, who the Gemara says, the sages in that generation said that if there was anybody that was Ra'ui, that was in a level to be selected by Hashem to be Mashiach, it was Rebbe, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. 
he was from the lineage of King David, he was the Gdolador, and in fact, the Gemara in Maseret Gitin, page 59a, says, from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu until Rebbe, we never saw anybody have Torah v'gdula other than Moshe Rabbeinu and Rebbe Akadosh. What is Torah and Gdula? Many scholars existed during that time and thereafter. So obviously, they're not just talking about Torah knowledge. Surely there was Torah knowledge. There was much Torah knowledge. There's, there's the rabbis of, of, of Rebbe Akadosh. There's the rabbi of rabbis of Rebbe Akadosh. So surely there's a lot of Torah. Okay? Obviously, we got Torah at Mount Sinai with Moshe Rabbeinu. But surely there was Torah even before Moshe Rabbeinu. We had Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So it's not like the Torah was born at Mount Sinai. It's, it was given to us in a formal way at Mount Sinai. But Torah existed 974 generations before the world came into place. So even Adam Rishon had Torah. So what, is the Torah, what does the sages mean when they say, from Moshe Rabbeinu till Rabbi Kadosh, we never saw anybody have Torah v'gedula. He said that despite that there was many scholars before, during, and after, and despite the fact that there was many people that had gedula, gedula is success, leadership, monetary success, positions of power, but we never saw anyone have such unity among the people that they all agreed that's the rabbi that is the gedolado that's the leader of the generation other than the time of rebbe akadosh and moshe rabbeinu meaning that even at the time of rabbi akiva the rabbi of the rabbi of the rabbi of, of, of rebbe akadosh even he did not have as much control and gedula if you will as rebbe akadosh and needless to say, after, even though we have great Rabbanim in the world today and in recent generation, we just lost some of the greatest rabbis that ever lived. We have Rav Steinemann left us, Rav Vadia, Rav Yashiv. Many Gdolim have left the world in the last uh, decade or two. But nonetheless, there are still great rabbis in the world. If you mention the name Rav Kanievsky, most people know who that is. If you uh, mention the name Rav Mazuz, most people know who that is. There are great rabbis. You, you mentioned the name of Rabbi Tzach Yosef. Most people know who that is. Rav Lau. Most people know who that is. These are great rabbis. But if you said, listen, Rav Kanievsky said, don't do this. Will everybody listen? No. Unfortunately, no. If Rav Mazuz says, everyone do this, is everyone going to listen? No. No. They're not. They're simply not. Why? That's the degradation of the generation. It's part of it where, unfortunately, we do not have the leaders, the leaders that were gifted the power of the previous leaders because of the weakness of the generation, not because of the weakness of the leaders. But nonetheless, the Gemara even says that the, the time that they saw the unanimous opinion by Klal Israel that this is the top opinion this is the greatest opinion 
Moshe Rabbeinu, which we don't need to explain, and Rabbi Kadosh, Rabbi Yudanasi. So now you would think the Rabbi Kadosh, he was sitting on some throne like Shlomo Amelech all day, doesn't need to do anything, everyone is uh, cleaning his feet. Opposite. This Gemara exemplifies it. Gemara Masechet Menachot, page 18a, says, Rabbi Kadosh says, when I went to Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua to improve myself, I found Yosef Abavli sitting in front of him, and all of the words of Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua were very dear to him. So already we learned from this story that Rabbi Kadosh, that one, what made him great, is he was just like his great 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 grandfather David Melech. Mikol melamdai skalti. He was looking to learn from everyone, but not just everyone, like I'm just going to learn from just anyone that wants to give me a chidush, but rather I'm going to go work on myself. I'm going to go to a gdolador, a big rabbi, a tzaddik, and I'm going to go sit down at a shiul, doesn't matter how far it is, doesn't matter how many months or years, I, I don't see my wife and kids, doesn't matter anything. I'm going to see my rabbi, to sit there like a good little boy, so he can give me some musar, so I can improve myself. Yeah, but you're from the lineage of Rabban Gamliel. You're the leader of the generation. Exactly. I need to work on myself. Yeah, but you, you, you can be Mashiach. Exactly. I need to work on myself. Meaning that the thought that we naturally have that just because you've earned a position, therefore that eliminates the need for further uh, improvement is actually the exact opposite of what's necessary meaning the higher you are the more you need to improve yourself the higher you are the more you need to improve yourself so Rabbi Kadosh says that he went to go see Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua to go improve himself he wanted to learn some Musal he wanted to go learn Give some chizuk so he himself can work on his midot. Lematzot midotai. Specifically to improve his midot. And what he found when he got there is that he saw another Talmud Chacham by the name of Yosef Abavli. Yosef Abavli, Yosef mi Babylon, which is today modern day Iraq, sitting in front of Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua. And everything that Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua was saying was very, very dear and welcomed by this Yosef Abavli. Yosef Abavli asked his teacher, Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, My teacher, what is the status in a case where one slaughters an offering to leave some of its blood for the next day? Yes, because questions of matters that pertain to the Bet HaMikdash. Chachamim teach us, when you learn about the sacrifices and the offerings and so on that we had at the Bet HaMikdash, it's as if you are bringing a sacrifice yourself. So it's a very, very high level learning, needless to say, very, very praiseworthy in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And uh, Yosef Abavli asks his rabbi a specific question. What happens if you slaughter an offering, but you leave some of its blood for the next day? Rabbi Lazar answered him, 
It's fit to be sacrificed, meaning it's kasher, it's fine. He asked him again later that day during the evening. He got the same answer. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's okay. The next morning, he asked him again. Same question. He didn't change the words. He didn't like do like some people do today. They ask you a question. You tell them no. So they ask you in a different way. Rabbi, am I allowed to go to a uh, mixed beach? No. No, but there's the women. They're not sitting next to me. They're sitting like, uh, you know, oh, 20 feet away from me. Am I allowed to go? No. Well, I don't even know who those women are. Does that matter? No, you're still not allowed to go. What if I don't look? What if I don't look? Can I still, can I go to the beach? No. Can I go to the gym that happens to have men and women? It's no different than the beach. Over there, they're practically naked. Over there, they're practically naked. No. Do you understand that? No, no. Tell me in English. means it's better you die instead of go to the gym that has men and women. Whether you're a woman or you're a man, you're not allowed to go to a mixed gym or a mixed beach. Not allowed. Or to go to a mixed dancing party, a nightclub, a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, a gay, no mitzvah, whatever mitzvah you have, not allowed to go to any of those places. It's better you die than go to one of those places. You figure you'd answer it in all these different ways, whether you're a male or you're a female, whether it's the beach or it's the gym. Rabbi, listen. What if I bring a bunch of my friends and I'm going to hang out with my friends? I'm not going to go by myself to this beach. Can, can I go now? No. You're almost thinking that they just want to like, it's like, a, it's like a practical joke of some kind. But yeah, it's a no. Then you get the best one. Rabbi, what if I bring my husband with me to the beach? Can I go now? Obviously, I'm not looking at those guys. And I, it's not my problem that they're looking at me in a beating suit. And I'm thinking to myself, Do you understand that you're not even allowed to leave the house with a bathing suit? Is that like... Nothing. Sometimes people, they don't get it. You have to answer, unfortunately, why the sins stupefy a person. They stupefy a person. Once a person stops sinning, they become smarter. Legitimately, they become smarter. Not, not smarter necessarily. They're able to do uh, calculus problems in their head, and all of a sudden they become a rocket scientist. But they become spiritually smarter and many times common sense smarter. So, here, we don't have the same issue. Why? Because there's a reason why Yosef of Avli is asking his rabbi, Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, the same question multiple times. He asked him that afternoon, gave him the answer, it's okay. He asked him that evening, he said, it's okay. He asked him the next morning, he said, it's okay. And he asked him in the afternoon. And when he asked him in the afternoon, Gemara says, Rabbi Elazar said to him, it's fit, it's okay, but Rabbi Eliezer says it's pasul, it's unfit. Meaning, his answer is the same, it's still okay, but there is an opinion by one of the other sages, Rabbi Eliezer, 
that says it's pasul. It's not. It's the opposite opinion of mine. Yosef above Lee's face shone with joy. His, his face became light like Moshe Rabbeinu's face of how much joy he had from hearing this answer. And he says to his teacher, I heard from Rabbi Yehuda, which was one of the other G'dolei Ado, I heard from Rabbi Yehuda that it is unfit, just like you said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer. But then I searched among all of Rabbi Yehuda's students, and not a single one of them ever heard such a thing from Rabbi Yehuda. The same thing that I heard. And now that you have said that it is unfit, in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, you've returned my lost item. So here we see that there was a reason why Yosef Bavli was asking the same question over and over again. Not because he wanted a different answer, but he remembers hearing a different answer. But when he went to the students of the source that he heard it, because apparently I guess he couldn't uh, get together with Rabbi Yudai again, and he went to his students, nobody ever heard such a thing. So he can't just cancel all of them out. They're his students. They heard more of his Torah than he did. So he can't say they're all wrong. But at the same token, he's questioning himself. And he can't start saying, no, 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 I heard differently and I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Can't do that either. I have to have a source. Somebody else that is of authority that can tell me the same thing that I heard or else I perhaps misheard. So now that I hear this from you, my Rabbi, Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, I feel like you have returned some, a lost item, something that was very dear to me. Tears flowed from the teacher, from the rabbi, Rabbi Lazar ben Shamua's eyes. Tears started flowing down his face. And he said, Ashrechem talmidei chachamim shedivrei Torah chavivim alechem beyoter. Kara elav amikra ze, ma'avti toratecha kol hayom hisichati. Praiseworthy are you Torah scholars. That the Torah's words are dearer to them than anything else. And of such people it was said in Psalm 119.97, How strongly I love your Torah, all day it is my subject of my conversation. So here we see a very, in our eyes of this generation, unusual event but extraordinary nonetheless teacher student witness who's the witness there's no better witness in the world you have Rebbe Kadosh witnessing this with his own eyes he himself comes to learn Musal and he learns all he needs to learn from this story why he sees how dear the Torah is supposed to be to a person how dear it's supposed to be that the fact that he heard something, but he can't find a friend that agrees with him was simply unsettling to him. He could not sleep at night. Rabbi Ephraim told me that he heard this from his Rebbe, 
הרב גדעון בן משה, who himself heard this from his Rebbe, who actually witnessed this with his Rebbe, הרב ציון אבא שאול. And he said, הרב ציון אבא שאול, one time, he was given a shiur to the guys, and uh, at the end of the shiur, one of the Talmidim now, Rabbi Tzion Abashur was one of the Gedolei Adol, and surely some of his students have become one of the Gedolim. Rabbi Gidon ben Moshe being one of them, Rabbi Mutsapi being another, and there's, there's others that are Gedolim, Rabbi uh, uh, Mizrahi's uh, cousin, also one of the Gedolei Adol. There's literally some of the greatest uh, 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 rabbis in the world today were the Talmidim of the Gedolei Adol. That's in essence one of the... Uh, you know, one of the greatest things that you see, that the Gdolim, they don't leave the world with nothing. They leave the world with a lot of great fruits. A lot of great fruits that don't fall so far from the tree. The Gdolim leave Gdolim. Big rabbis leave big rabbis. If a big rabbi left nobody, it's a, uh, it's not, it doesn't look so good. But nonetheless, we see, especially in the uh, Yeshivat Porat Yosef, you see, that uh, many, many gedolim that have led this past generation have come from that yeshiva. And it's an uh, exceptional history over there nonetheless. Now, Rav uh, Gidon ben Moshe was one of the Talmidim in the shiur, And he saw his rabbi, Rav Tzion uh, which was the chavruta of Rav Ovadia, give a shiur. At the end of the shiur, one of the young scholars... Oh, we're talking about guys that are in their 20s, 30s. Comes to the rabbi, with all respect in the world, he says, Kvod Rav, you mentioned one of the many things you mentioned in the shiur, you mentioned about the exact measurements of the Mizbeach. Most people, unfortunately, you tell them Mizbeach, they have no idea what you're talking about. Bechlal. You tell them alter, Say, oh yeah, you know, from like ancient Greece or something. Like they have no concept of Bet HaMikdash or anything. Especially since it's not necessarily something that we use today. We don't have Bet HaMikdash, unfortunately. But to the Chachamim, everything is important. And one of the things that he mentioned in the Shul was the Mizbeach, and he mentioned measurements. Measurements. Now, can you apply this to today? No. There's no Mizbech. But nonetheless, it was mentioned in the Shiul, and he mentioned it in the name of the Rambam. And one of the students came to the Rav. He says, Rav, you said these measurements, but that's not the measurements that the Rambam mentioned. He actually mentions a different one. Chatzion Abashul says, Nah, you sure? Bring me the book. Bring me the Rambam. Let's open it up. Tamid, for the sake of Torah, but the same token, he feels uh, embarrassed. But the same token, you need to do this. Are we wrong? Is it a misprint? Maybe, maybe the maybe the copy made a mistake. Maybe the something. Even though it's not anything that anyone can apply to their life at that moment, nonetheless, we need to know. Comes, he brings the Rambam. Rav Abashul opens the book. How could it be? How could it be? Closes the rumble. Puts it down. The guy takes it. He goes, give it back to me again. Give it back to me again. He comes back. Opens the rumble again. 
How could it be? Now how could it be how the Rambam wrote it? How could I have forgotten such a thing? To us, we don't even know what it is. To him, he's thinking already, how could I have forgotten such an important thing? The average person doesn't even know what it is. But someone that loves HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like Rav Tzion says, how could I forget such a thing? And Rav, Rav Gidon says, he literally could not let it go for weeks. For weeks, he kept going over and over, not understanding how he could ever forget such a thing. How much I loved your Torah. All day it's my conversation. Because they toil so much over the Torah, every single word, every single sentence, every single story, every single halacha, every single thing is more precious than all of the jewels in the world to them. And that's why Rav Tzion could not literally live with himself for a few weeks. How he could forget something that, unfortunately, to, to us, is of no value. Wrongly, but nonetheless the truth. Here we see, same concept, by Yosef Abavli. Yosef Abavli, his face literally had such an expression had such a change that it was noticeable for those around him. So much so that his rabbi started crying, crying. And Chachamim tell us the difference between tears of joy versus tears of sorrow is that tears of sorrow are salty, whereas tears of joy are uh, sweet, apparently. I haven't tried the experiment yet, but nonetheless, maybe you want to try this at home. Either way, the uh, teaching here that Rebbe Kadosh is here to teach us from the story is look how great this Talmud is, but look how great the teacher is where he recognizes this Talmud. Praiseworthy are you Torah scholars that the words of, our, of the Torah are dearer to you than anything else. Now, What's really so praiseworthy? Let's see a few things other than what we talked about. First and foremost, some things that we can apply to our life, even at our low level. One, you see how Rabbi uh, uh, Yosef Abavli knows how to ask a question. It's very important to know how to ask a question and still remain respectful to your teacher. Many times, people don't know how to ask a question and they have terrible manners. One, they think that the teacher owes them a response, not only owes them a response, owes them a response right away. I sent you a message, how come you didn't respond? I'm busy. Yeah, but I sent it. So did 5,000 other people. So what if you send it? Yeah, but it took you three days. You're lucky it only took three days. I have some emails from six months ago I haven't responded to yet. And some from a year and a half ago. You're lucky you even got a response, but they don't think that. They think they send something, the rabbi owes them a response right away. This is gava. This is pride. Pride that is disgusting. 
Yeah, but aren't you a uh, servant of the public? I'm a servant of Hashem, and I help the public because of that. Doesn't mean I'm your slave. I can answer, if I can, I do. If I can't, I don't. If I want to, I do. If I don't want to, I don't. Simple. Sometimes, believe it or not, the rabbi doesn't want to answer you. Why? Different reasons. Different reasons. Sometimes the rabbi doesn't want to answer a specific question. Does not want to answer a specific question. Sometimes he can't. He can't answer a specific question. Sometimes your question is so big that he just doesn't have the time to do it. Like I had one guy tell, send me something that apparently some other rabbi gave him to go make pretend as if all the rabbis in the world are wicked except him. He's one of these rabbis that's a fanatic about this coronavirus craziness. And he decided to make a questionnaire, I think 15 or 20 questions. And he writes the heading of it, here, send this to all rabbis that you know and ask them to give you a detailed response with sources to each one of these 15 or 20 questions. And if they don't want to answer, ask them for a detailed response why they don't want to answer. The audacity of this person that made these questions, which calls himself a rabbi, if he's the further thing away from a rabbi, he's a ama'aretz, to, 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 to put it kindly. But aside from that, the people that send these questions to rabbis thinking that they're owed, they're owed the response already shows how far away they are from somebody that we're learning for, from, by name of Yosef Abavli. He was a Talmud Chacham. He's mentioned in the Gemara Rabotai, that means that he was already at a level to resurrect the dead. He's not just some Joe Shmo. He's named by name in the Gemara. Gemara Masechet Abu Dazara says, any person, that any of the sages mentioned by name in the Gemara is because they were at a level to resurrect the dead if they wanted to. If they prayed for somebody to go back to life, they would. This also puts another question, how come they didn't do with certain people that died, like the ten martyrs and so on? But needless to say, this is a fact. Whether you believe it or not, that's your problem. But this is one of the teachings in the Gemara. Here we have somebody that knows the answer because he heard it from one of the Gedolim. He heard it from Rabbi Yehuda. But he doesn't say it. He says to his rabbi, Rabbi, what do you think of this? Aloud. Okay. Next day. Rabbi, what do you think of this? Aloud. Rabbi, what do you think of this? He keeps asking the same question. In essence, trying to hint to his rabbi, I heard something else, but if I tell you I heard something else, that may be just my imagination. I may be wrong. I don't want to steer anyone wrong and so on. Now, generally speaking, this is a unique type of issue. When you ask a rabbi a question, when you've already received an answer from somebody else that's easy to access and not someone that uh, passed away or so on, he said, listen, you ask Rabbi A, can I go to XYZ? And he says no. And you want to ask Rabbi B, can I go to XYZ? When you ask him the question, you have to tell him, and by the way, Rabbi B, before you answer me, I want to let you know that Rabbi A told me no already. So you know, he already told me no. That's how you ask a question. 
that's how you ask a question so you don't mislead people and it's not necessarily because rabbi a knows more than rabbi b or rabbi b knows le- no it's not because of that it's simply because there is a uh way to ask questions there's an ethical way of asking questions and also the rabbi needs to know if you're looking for an answer or you're looking for something else like an excuse based on who you're asking and why you're asking and so on now if people simply knew how to ask questions and did it the right way a lot of problems would be solved simply by that just by just knowing enough ethics to know how to ask a question second we learned from Yosef Bavli is that even though he heard from Rabbi Yehuda, he didn't assume that he was right. Even though he heard it, when he double-checked with Rabbi Yehuda's students, the ones that have spent a lot of time with him, and they did not confirm what he heard, he didn't assume, nah, they don't know what they're talking about, I know more than all of them, like what people do today. They listen to one shiur of one of the gedolim. They think they already know more than everybody else. They read one book of Rav Ovadia, They already cancel out all of the rabbis that studied under Rav Ovadia for many years. This, unfortunately, is a reality of today. The guy watched your shiurim for six months. I'm your number one fan, Rabbi. I'm your number one fan. Okay, what about the people that have been here for five, six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen years? Yeah, but I'm your number one fan. I don't think anybody watches as much as I do. Okay, so, you know, you live in your own planet. You live in your own planet. This is one of the things we also learn from here. But also, we see how someone that loves Torah reacts when they get it. Now, the Chachamim teach us that if we understood what the sages were, we would realize how much of a difference between us there is. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that the sages of that time, talking about 16, 1700 years ago, said of themselves, if their rabbis were considered angels, then they are men. These are the rabbis that we're talking about here are considered men if their rabbis are considered angels but if their rabbis are considered men then we are considered donkeys he says about themselves obviously if the sages that we're talking about Rabbi Udanasi, uh, the, and, and the rest of the sages of that time uh, Abaye, Rava and so on they're all considered donkeys what are we now of course many of the heretics and the people that do not understand what Torah really is and who the sages are detest this particular statement detest it why do they detest it simple they see the rabbis whether it's the rabbi that's their local rabbi that uh you know is is simply there to fill you know get everybody to pray together or the rabbi that's the rabbi of the community or the rabbi that's the rabbi of the country or the rabbi that's one of the leaders of the generation or the rabbi that is one of the geonim from the previous generation that has Many of the sages uh, throughout all of the years learned from him. Or the other Gedolim from beforehand, they see all of them as simply human beings, no different than them. This confirms how much of donkeys 
They are, but nonetheless, they don't realize that they're donkeys. The donkey doesn't realize that he's a donkey sometimes. Now, if a person learned a lot of Torah, ultimately, he will fall in love with the sages. And if he finds himself not loving the sages, he learns Torah, but he still views the sages just like Meza does, just like some of the other heretics do. Doesn't see them as anything special. He thinks, oh, well, but yeah, yeah, he was a chacham, great. I could do the same thing. What? Ben Ishchai? Great person. But just because he said it doesn't mean anything. Rambam? Rambam made mistakes. You know, they talk about them with what's called zilzul, disrespect. If they learned and they still have that opinion, that means there's something wrong with their learning. Something wrong with their learning. Why? Because if you're learning Torah the right way, that means that you're also learning from the sages. And if you're learning from the sages the right way, automatically, automatically, you will respect them for what they've done and what they've achieved and how much they know. And the more, and you'll want to learn more and more about them. And the more you learn about them, the more you're not only going to respect them, you'll actually fall in love with them of how great they were and how many sacrifices they had to make in order to achieve such greatness. When a person learns the right way, they fall in love with the tzaddikim. When a person learns the wrong way, they fall in love with themselves because they think that they're the ones that are acquiring the information rather than the information was gifted to them on a silver platter. But needless to say, the Chazonish elaborates on this story by saying the following. The words of the sages are like a fine lotion that is well absorbed by the body. They inspire deeply, moving hearts to love the Torah and enjoy its glory. Yosef Abavli was overcome with distress because of the loss of one Allah. And his face lit up when this lost item was returned to him. Rabbi Elazar, the teacher, was moved by his students' love for Torah, so much so that it produced tears of joy in him and the pleasure of elation. Whoever deprives his soul of deep study of Allah, thus depriving it from tasting wisdom, has lost not one item, but rather his entire self, rendering his entire existence worthless. Here is the first atomic bomb conclusion that the Chazonish learns from the story. He says, if you want to know how to be a good Jew, you need to learn Musa, you need to learn Allah. No question. You need to learn a lot of both, as much as humanly possible, of both. Whether you become a big sage or a simple Jew, it doesn't make a difference. You need to do it nonetheless. If you refuse to do so because you're so busy with the little things that you call important, like money, like your job, like your boyfriend and your girlfriend and your clothes and your uh, whatever else that's important to you, all the minimal things, 
you, my friend, didn't get the point. Why you didn't get the point? Without learning alacha, you didn't just lose alacha. You didn't just lose the knowledge of alacha. You didn't just lose the knowledge of how to be a righteous Jew. No, you lost two things. You lost that and you lost your purpose. I.e., your life became purposeless. There's no point to your life. Stamp, Chazonish. First point he makes from this story. He says, after we see, after we see the reaction of the Chachamim, we're not just learning some of the basic things that your own Reuven just told you. Oh, you should know how to ask a question. Oh, you should have some better manners. Nice. Bigger lesson, says the Chazonish. Habibi, from this story, when we see the reaction of Yosef above Lee, of how joy, how much joy he had when he found this lost idol, and we see the joy of his teacher, Rabbi Lazar, how much joy he had when he saw that a student gets the point. We see they have achieved happiness, which is what? It's the universal goal. Every human being on earth wants the same thing, to be happy. When we see that the way to achieve this elation, this happiness, cannot be attained by money, cannot be attained by physical issues, physical matters, intimacy, and so on, eating and so on, that's joy that's temporary. Happiness cannot be achieved by any of those things. But we can see and we do see that happiness is acquired by those that understand what the Torah actually says. When you refuse to learn it, you, my friend, have decided for yourself to make your own life purposeless. No purpose at all. He doesn't even say your purpose has become like an animal because an animal does have a purpose. The lion has a purpose. He has to eat some animals. He has to kill some animals. He has to fight some hyenas. He has to do a lot of stuff. The giraffe can kick in all directions, can eat fruit that no one else can reach. It's got a lot of purposes. The mouse, the bees, all of these things have a purpose. But you, my dear Jewish friend, without learning halacha, you have no purpose. So it's not that you lost this opportunity to learn. You've lost everything. Point number one by the Chazunish. Point number two. What is the value of the fool under the sun? He walks in darkness with no light. He plays like a child his entire life, unaware of his sickness and senseless of his pain. He speaks high words and his heart is as haughty as a coin ringing in an empty jug. The Gemara they called Kistera Belagina Kish Kish Karya. That the arrogant people 
are like a tiny little coin inside a big pot. Makes a lot of noise. If it was a big coin, if it was a big thing of gold, you're not going to be able to make much noise. doesn't matter how much you shake it. But a tiny little penny makes a lot of noise. That's the arrogant people. That's the mazes of the world. That's the Manus Friedmans of the world. That's this unorthodox uh, uh, show. All of these arrogant, pitiful people, they make a lot of noise. But don't worry, Kadosh Baruch Hu will destroy each and every single one of them if they don't do tshuva. Each and every single one of them will be removed from the world and forgotten forever. Not even like a bad memory. Simply like they never existed to begin with. All they're doing is just simply destroying themselves. And the people that follow them, they were already looking to destroy themselves to begin with. They're just using that as an excuse. But here we see Rabotai that the fool, the fool that is literally, according to the Torah, a zona. Allah says when a woman, when a Jewish woman is with a non-Jewish man, according to Allah, she is considered a prostitute, a zona. So you are inspired by a zona. So if you went to some corner and some prostitute showed you a leg, you're going to be inspired by her to want to live like her. Why are you inspired by this zona that's on television? Why? Because she has some, some money. Money comes, money goes. A lot of people with money kill themselves too. What difference does it make? What difference does it make if she has money? Reality is, anyone that is weakened by this is not really weakened by this. They were already weak to begin with to watch the show. They are already weak to begin with to be in that place in the first place. Now they have a new excuse. If you were learning Torah, if you were attending a shul, if you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, you would vomit just like Rabbi Akiva vomited when he saw such things. Rabbi Akiva saw three prostitutes that the king sent him to his room and he vomited the whole night. How come you didn't vomit when you saw this zona on TV and actually watched more than five seconds? How come you didn't vomit? Because in reality, you don't see anything wrong with it. In fact, you may be even attracted to the zona. In fact, you think, maybe I can be like the zona. Shame on you for thinking such a thing. That's really the truth. Shame on you for thinking such a thing. But there is one thing that I heard the zona say that is correct. She said in her own mocking way, she said it in a mocking way, but she was 100% right. That us Jewish people believe that if you act like her, like a zona, and be with Imada's clothes, then one day you're going to have to bathe your kids with, the, um, with uh, clothes that are full of acid and so on. That's not actually far from the truth. In fact, there's a source for it. I'll give the zona and all of the people that enjoy her literature. It's called Avat Chaim. It's a book called Avat Chaim. I believe I have it somewhere over here. Yeah, right here. Here you go. Here, it's a two-volume book. It's two volumes. I believe it's only in Hebrew. Two-volume book. It has a lot of wonderful stories, all types of midrashim, all types of halachot, and so on and so forth, by Chacham and Nashim. He was one of the gedolim from the previous generation, maybe about 100 years ago. And he has a story that I've told you guys several times that uh you know that says something similar a woman was in essence punished punished 
by putting the clothes of our daughter that were immodest inside boiling water and then putting it on top of her as part of the punishment that she was getting in kafakela so there is such a punishment she's not actually wrong about that somebody said she was wrong she's not wrong she's right about that that's exactly what's going to happen to her and much much worse because apparently her daughters are following her so at least there she's right unfortunately she doesn't believe it she, she mocks it so that's unfortunate but nonetheless Rabutai, there's nothing to be jealous about if a person understood what they have you would feel bad for them not admiring them not jealous of them in fact all the money in the world wouldn't be enough to pay you to be like them if somebody paid me a billion dollars a billion ten billion dollars whatever number to live their life for one hour I wouldn't it's better to die in the worst most unusual death than to live their life for a single hour if you really understand what life they're living but we'll get that in a moment here we have the chazonish saying if you are not learning alacha your life is simply purposeless the lion is more significant than you the dog more significant than you everybody's more significant than you why they all have roles you do not have a role in the world you know you have no idea why you're in the world second when a person is sick like this zonan unorthodox and unfortunately her children that are also acting like zonot and our friends that are zonot and everybody else that's all that whole part mishmash of chilul hashem full of zonot that whole thing they do not even understand that they're sick they don't if you told them listen the Torah says you're sick they're gonna laugh at you because they don't even realize it it's like somebody having a terminal a terminal disease and chooses not to believe it they have a terminal disease they're gonna die in a few days but they decide to go to work anyway because they want to go on vacation next month like it's just a person that unfortunately is so sick they've become delusional that's what the chazonish is saying is point number two unaware of their sickness and senseless of their pain in fact they become more arrogant and cause more noise instead of being ashamed that they left Hashem instead of being ashamed that she cheated on her husband instead of being ashamed of literally living like a prostitute instead of being ashamed she flaunts it instead of being ashamed at the fact that she's teaching her daughters to be the klishimush the, the 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 village bicycle for the community that every filthy man can do his filthy thoughts without ever wanting to procreate with that person literally she's teaching her children to simply become one of the filthy human beings in society that can fulfill the desires of mankind that every guy does who doesn't want another version of her could simply still use her he doesn't want another version of her in the world that's why he doesn't want to have a kid with her but nonetheless he could still use those orifices in her body because that's what she's good for in the world that's what the mother is teaching the kids and that's what the mother is in essence taking pride in i saying every mini skirt is giving me more pride in essence that's what you're teaching all of the clients that you have that they're gonna be a cliche a tool for use a tool for use you're not teaching 
women pride or, or value of women. You're teaching women to become simply tools. Tools less valuable than a hammer, less valuable than, than literally a bottle, a plastic bottle, less valuable than anything else. Why? Because at least a bottle you know not to uh, either you throw it out or you use it for something clean. You don't desecrate it. You don't put filth on it. You don't spit on it. You don't do uh, your, your needs on it. You either throw it out because you don't want it or you use it and you make sure that you put something good in it. What you're teaching your daughters and what you yourself, Miss Unorthodox, are doing is simply you're becoming less valuable than a bottle. All of the men, including your non-Jewish husband, can simply use you without ever having the risk of reproducing you. Why? They don't want another version of you. God forbid there will be another version of you. God forbid there will be another version of, of such a creature in the world. They do not want any of that. But they definitely want to fulfill their desires. And whether it's you or it's a plastic bottle or it's a, uh, a, a, a some other creature in the world, doesn't really make much of a difference. And I promise you, eventually, they'll throw you out just like everybody else. Because that's what happens. Why? You train them to be that way. And what ends up happening is that you see the celebrity life continue to develop. It's not always what you see on the screen. It's what happens behind the scenes. The broken hearts, the abortions, the divorces, the bankruptcies, the lawsuits, the disaster. And you cannot wait when you hear, oh, I can't believe it. Somebody got the disease. Oh, no. Where can we pray? What do you mean pray? You just have a whole show about being an atheist and anti-Torah. Why are you looking to pray now? Why do you need the rabbis now that you have breast cancer? Why do you have? Why do you need the, the mekubal now that because you have some other form of disease that the Torah hasn't even described yet? Why are you back to the rabbis then? Ah, you think about that when you're in a hospice center. When you're in a hospice center, then you're going to remember, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But that's what happens, Rabotai. You want to admire that? Be my guest and join them. Why? There's nothing to admire. I saw that world for many years, Rabotai. The filthiest of filthy. Saw it. Baruch Hashem wasn't much involved in it. But nonetheless, saw it and know it to be the biggest falsehood in the world right behind Christianity. Christianity being the number one falsehood in history. The rest of society thinking that just because you have money, therefore you have happiness, is the second biggest lie in society. Some may argue and debate me on this. Maybe the money first, Christianity second. You know, we can debate on that. But nonetheless... All you will get from such a life is pain, agony, and disgust. Pain, agony, and disgust. The little bit of so-called joy and fun that they allow you to see on screen, fake news. That's after screening, videoing, editing, countless shoots of hours upon hours upon hours and choosing exactly what they want you to see the real life and how they wake up every morning looking like some car accident and how they go to sleep miserable and depressed 
and how they think about suicide at least once a week and how they're taking a few drugs that perhaps they didn't buy from the pharmacy down down the street they're not going to show you that always but i promise you it's happening to all of them i lived with such people i was the money guy i was the money guy i only had friends like this or clients like this that's the life it's the biggest shekel in the world and those mothers have the biggest regret in the world when when their daughters keep coming back with another let down relationship oh mom he left me who left you your boss what no no my husband left me your husband how could he leave you guys are together for three years yeah but apparently i was with him for three years but he was with somebody else for two of them oh so he left you for her no he left me for a third one one letdown after another joining the divorce statistic one divorce after another and no one ever seems to get the point you made yourself into a public vessel of filth and that's what the public will use you for what is there to be jealous of what is there to question because they have money let them have all the money in the world let them have all the money in the world because that's what's destroying them unfortunately that's what's destroying them but here the chazonish is trying to tell us you that are still jealous of those people those so-called celebrities whether it's her or people that are 50 billion times richer than her you that you still think there's something to be jealous of you are the problem they're not even the problem they're almost a mikreavu they're almost a lost cause you are the problem that you actually think of yourself as somewhat religious yet you're still watching tv and you're still jealous of those filthy disgusting behavior how can you even allow your eyes to be tainted by such disgusting filthy behavior how could you allow your kids your your husband your wife how, anyone that you care about watch the show under your your supervision how can you allow your the windows to your soul to see such filth and not want to literally jump off a bridge how can you not think that this is the most disgusting thing in the world that's what you should be sorry for not that you don't have their money or their fame you should be sorry for the fact that you're not sorry for them that you're not crying for them that you don't see that they're going to be burned burned alive for eternity for such behavior how could you feel any sort of admiration for such people haven't you seen what happens to those people throughout history haven't you seen what happens to celebrities of the past haven't you seen the history of all of them is the same every single one of them starts off with going up like haman going up thinking they're the leaders thinking that they're good thinking that they're great and then the, as soon as they get to the peak that's when a kadosh who gives them the inevitable and permanent fall and they fall and fall and fall and they never stop falling there's divorces and disease and public shame and all the skeletons coming out of the closet and all the enemies and everything 
ends up being a big disaster. Literally, there is no exceptions. Every single one of them has a bad ending. Every one of them. And not even a bad ending. Most of them have simply a bad life with the exception of those few years that they were highlighted. The 15 minutes of fame. And that's what you're jealous of? Haven't you learned anything in the world to see that this is all a disaster? Or maybe you think that you would do different. This is why the Chazonish is crying for us. He's telling us instead of us crying tears of joy because we just learned something new, we're crying tears of agony because we're jealous of a zona. We're jealous of people that are public property and without even realizing it. We're jealous of something that literally the dogs of the street use as the fire hydrant. That's what we're jealous of. This is what you're jealous of? Would you be jealous of a fire hydrant? This is exactly what these women are setting themselves up to be. This is exactly what these women are setting up their kids to be. The fire hydrant of society. That's what you're jealous of? This is what you admire? This is what you look up to? This is what makes you happy in the morning to be something like this? Have you no shame? Or maybe no brain? You didn't think that far. It looked like fun on TV. Grow up. Grow up and think further than the wall that's in front of you. Grow up and realize it's a world of lies. A world of lies. It's called that by the sages for a reason. Not because they like to make catchy tones and, 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 and one-liners. The Chazonish is saying, if a person has not acquired themselves Torah and refuses to do so, they simply live a purposeless life. It's not because he's a religious fanatic. It's because he has seen and learned it all and has concluded that this is the reality. You don't even need to be a sage to know this. You could simply look at history. Look at the most so-called successful people in history and look at their life and how they went from the peak of wherever they were and how they spent the majority of their life with turmoil, with tragedy, with literally enough of a horrible payment that it wasn't even worth it to be at the top for even a moment. Look at every single one of them without exception. If you look at the real lives of these people, you'll see only tragedy, and you'll literally see so much black surround their lives, their real lives, not the fake life you see on TV, 30 seconds here and 4 seconds there. The real life of these people, when you actually read their bios, their Wikipedia, their real life, you'll see the entire life is one big tragedy with a few moments of elation of falsehood. That's all it is. It's not a lot of good with a little bit of bad or equal weight. It's the vast majority is horrible and a few moments of false news. That's it. That's all it is. And unfortunately, many people keep falling for the same trap of the Satan. Why? They're unaware of their sickness. They're unaware of their sickness and in fact, because of their lack of knowledge of Torah, they're even feeling arrogant about their own stupidity. 
His childish qualities are exalted in his own eyes and he feels that he possesses great wealth. He lives with this pride, unaware of his true poverty, not hungering for wisdom. As our sages said, a fool is not capable of sensing. Here we see in Abu Karim how the Chazonish sums it up in literally just a few words. What could take us years to understand. A fool is not capable of sensing. So long as a person is empty of the truth of the Torah, they will not even understand what kind of sickness they already have. Not they could acquire, they already have. They cannot even self-diagnose the sickness that's killing them so long as they do not have true knowledge of Torah. This Rabotai is one of the saddest things in the world. Why? Because the cure is free. The cure is free. But people choose the much more expensive poison. Now, many times people fall for the false speakers that make life seem like it's grand where you should be able to live like a celebrity but still be a righteous person now no one is saying that you're not allowed to have wealth and success and so on there's no problem if Hashem blesses you with wealth in an honest way no problem there are many good people throughout history that have had wealth and have done very good things with it and enjoyed it as well. There's no problem of having wealth and having different things. So long as you know who gave it to you and how to utilize everything the right way. Nonetheless, there's no problem of having good things in life. But when a person makes that his life, makes that her life, that person becomes poor automatically, spiritually poor automatically. And they start thinking that they need this stuff in order to be happy. That means that they are spiritually homeless. Meaning their poverty continues to deteriorate with each and every single item they buy. Every single thing they acquire makes them more spiritually poor. Why? Because they keep looking for more stuff, more material to make them happy, only to realize that it's not possible. And they keep buying something else only to realize that it's still not going to make them happy. And they buy something else and that also doesn't make them happy. And even eventually the elation that they get, that moment of, 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 of happiness, false ha- sense of happiness, false sense of joy that they get for opening the box or opening the package or giving the cashier the money or the credit card or whatever it is, that moment of transaction taking place of acquiring that material good, that moment of happiness or joy that a person gets, even that eventually loses its value. And a person literally becomes very, very poor and there is no way to fill up that hole with anything else that's material. And this sabotage is something that you see very often in the world today, especially since commerce has made transactions very uh, cost effective very easy you have the amazons in the world you have all types of things it's very easy to acquire stuff it's very easy to become shopaholic 
You don't need to be a celebrity anymore. You don't need to be a filthy rich to have boxes show up at your house every single day trying to fill a void of some kind. But the truth is, if you don't have Torah in your life, that's all those things are going to do. They're going to pretend like they're going to fill a void, but in reality, they're creating a bigger void. And that's what all of those people have. But unfortunately, sometimes you'll have false speakers that all they talk about is if you do such and such, you'll get more money. If you do such and such, you'll get more blessing for money. And if you give such and such, you'll get more money and more this money and more happiness. And you'll have the vacation that you want. You'll have the house that you want and you have the job that you want. And everything is material based. And if you keep Shabbat, you'll get money. And if you keep this, you'll get more money. And everything is always revolved around money and it always revolved about the so-called good life in this world. And unfortunately, if somebody is only talking about the material world and the, the, the good that you can live in this world, then in reality, they're a false speaker. They're a false teacher. They're a false speaker. They're, they're, they're false in general. Why? Because everyone knows, everyone especially that's been around the block a few times, knows that life, doesn't matter how much money you have, life is not always grand. There's some ups, there's some downs, there's some suffering, there's some uh, happiness. M- you know, more times than not, you have to deal with, with the sufferings and the agony than you do with the happiness. That's just the reality of life. Most of life is difficulty. That's everybody's life, no exceptions. Most of life is difficulty. There is no way around it. It's just the way it is. It doesn't mean you have to have a miserable life. It doesn't mean that you have to be depressed. But you have to know that difficulty is part of life. Difficulty is an awesome part of life if you know how to deal with it. But if you think that your life is supposed to be just about joy and vacation and a five-course meal served to you in your bed and being on some beach so people can take pictures of you, you have a false sense of reality. A very, very false sense of reality. And unfortunately, when people teach this way, it gives the students a false sense of reality. Now, Rabbi Ephraim, our dear Rav, said he once thought, what is the difference between the righteous teacher and the wicked one? What's the difference between the righteous Jew and the wicked one? Now, of course, we're not comparing the person that is like the zona from an orthodox and all of the people that help her be that way. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about two people, they both keep Shabbat. Two people, they both keep family purity. Two people, they both eat kosher. But one is wicked, one is righteous. What's the difference between them? One is disturbed by Shows like an orthodox and society being what it is. And one is unfazed and in fact cries over them because he feels or she feels bad for them. How could two people have two completely different ideologies, two different understandings of of the world? Rabbi Ephraim says that's because they treat the Torah differently. One treats the Torah like a chef while the other one treats the Torah like a surgeon. What's the difference? Your grandparents, especially the younger generation, probably your great-grandparents, because younger generation doesn't even know how to cook. Most of the time, they just know how to, you know, press an app to order food. But the older generation used to actually cook. 
If you ask your grandmother, Grandma, how did you make this? She said, I put a little salt. Okay, and what else? Put a little cumin. Okay, what else? And some pepper. And what else? And this and that. And okay, how much? This much. What's this much? This much. No, no, I understand it's this much, but your hand is different than my hand. It's this much. That's it. It's this much. What does it mean? Everybody has their own taste. There is no recipe books. Your grandparents, they made a dish delicious. You try following their instructions. You're making something that perhaps they can use in the next concentration camp to kill people. Two completely different dishes. Hers tastes delicious like it just came from Gan Eden. Yours perhaps a different place, but not Gan Eden. Two. Why? She used this much. You used this much, but it's two this is much different. Old generation, you can change. Same thing with people that know how to cook. They also don't have an exact recipe, unless they're writing a book. They don't have an exact recipe. Why? This much and that much, and he's eating, so I'm going to put that much, but she's eating, so I'm going to put that much, and everybody changes it and plays with it and does this and does that. Oh, it's too salty. Let me fix it. How do you fix something that's so salty? Give it back to me. I'll show you. 15 minutes later, it doesn't taste salty. How do you remove salt? Only the chef knows. But nonetheless, the chef knows one thing. No two chefs are alike. No two chefs are alike. Some people treat the Torah like that. They treat it like a chef. You wrote in the Shulchan Aruch such and such. I'm going to do this much. Over there you wrote that. I'm not going to include that one in my dish. Over there you wrote that. No, no, no. Not for me at all. Over there you wrote that. Oh, that one I'm going to do a lot of. A lot, a lot, a lot. Oh, not too much. No, no, I like that one. I'm going to do a lot. That's a chef. That's a chef. That's a chef. A wicked, wicked chef in the world of Torah. They choose different quantities of different things instead of listening to the sages. Don't. No one's asking you to not sleep. No one's asking you not to eat. And no one's asking you to live in some cave. Eat right. Sleep right. Uh, you know, do everything simple like a regular Torah Jew. No one's asking you to do more. No one's asking you to do less. Once you start taking things into your own control and you forsake the sages and you don't want to listen to nobody and you want to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and too much of this and none of that, you, my dear friend, become a wicked person. You, my dear friend, are on your way to unorthodox, even with the kippah on, even with the kisulosh, even if all your kids are in yeshiva, you are as unorthodox as the people on the show. Why? You don't listen to what the Torah says. You listen to whatever you feel like. But if you treat the Torah like a surgeon, a surgeon is not going to look at the Torah and says, you know what, this one... I, I'm not going to cut that one. Yeah, but it says to cut. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel bad. I'm not going to cut it. No, no, no. A surgeon's going to say, if that's the instructions, cut here, go here, so there, finish. Yalla, let's go eat some lunch. Finish. No improvisations. No improvisations. Why? There's lives on the line. If a person treated the Torah like the surgeon, that's a good surgeon, treats his patient because he cares about that person's life, that person's going to be righteous. But if he's going to treat it like a chef, 
a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then everybody has a different definition of a little, you have a serious problem, and that's unfortunate. Why? Because it's running rampant in the Jewish world today. Lots of people want to do a lot of what they're not supposed to and very little of what they're obligated to. When it comes to the skirt, they want it to be shorter. When it comes to the wig, they want it to be longer. When it comes to the Torah, they want to study less. When it comes to the movies, they want to watch more. It's a little bit of opposite. A little bit. Just a little bit. To say the least. But we have to first acknowledge that we're sick, Rabotai. We first have to acknowledge that we're sick. Now, the last part is to ask ourselves, why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu allow this unorthodox show to continue? These people that make their new mission in life to desecrate the Torah, desecrate Hashem's name, why does a Kadosh Baruch Hu allow this to happen? Now, if you watched the whole shiul and you paid attention, you remember that I said, anytime you have a question, if you study enough Torah that week, you'll get the answer from the Torah that you studied, especially that week parasha. The weekly parasha will give you the answer. If you didn't get an answer, perhaps you didn't study enough Torah. So where is the answer? Answer starts in last week's parasha, parashat Vayet Hanan. The beginning of the parasha, Kadosh Baruch Hu says to us, Vata Yisrael Shmaya el ha-chukim ve'el ha-mishpatim asher anuchim elamed etchem la'asot leman tichyu. Kadosh Baruch Hu says to us through the mouth of Moshe Rabbeinu. Because surely Moshe Rabbeinu spoke everything that he spoke through Ruach HaKodesh in prophecy. And Moshe Rabbeinu says to us, Now, O Israel, listen to the decrees and to the ordinances that I teach you to perform so that you may live. And you will come to possess the land that Hashem, the God of your forefather, gives you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor shall you subtract from it to observe the commandments of Hashem, your God, that I command you. So here, we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not suggesting the Torah, but rather obligating the Torah on us. And then of course there are many, many other verses that discuss the same thing, where it says, Ba'asitim that you did the evil in the eyes of Hashem, your God, to anger Him. Hashem will punish us for such a thing. Why does he allow the evil people that desecrate his name to continue? At the end of Parashat Vayetchanan, last week's parasha, it says the following in chapter 7, verse number 9. Vayadata ki Adonai Elohecha hua Elohim ha'ela ne'eman shomer abrit ve'achesed le'oavav u'leshomre mitzvotav le'elev dor. You must know that Hashem, your God, He is the God, the faithful God, who safeguards the covenant and the kindness for those who love Him and for those who observe His commandments for thousands of generations. 
Here is part one. If you follow what the Torah says, don't ever think for a moment you're going to lose out. Don't ever think for a moment that they are winning more than you are. You will get paid. We're going to explain that in a moment. But you for sure, for doing the mitzvot that you're doing, for observing the Torah despite the difficulty, despite the emotional battle, you will never be forgotten. In fact, your payment will be eternal. But if you fail, if you break, if you join the unorthodox, if you are a man who wants to be and become a woman now, you become homosexual now, you become lesbian now, you become atheist now, you become Christian now, you become an enemy of Hashem, your end will not be the same. Why? Because the end of good is for those that are Shomre Mitzvotav. Oavav Veshomre Mitzvotav is lovers and those that safeguard the covenant. Meaning that the lovers are the ones that are observing the mitzvot. What if you're not? Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, and he repays his enemies who are the enemies if the lovers are the ones that are observing the covenant, are observing the mitzvot, then obviously the haters are the opposite. It's the ones that are on gay pride parades, are uh, making mini skirts for the public, are stealing from people, are cheating, are worshipping idols or themselves, are doing things that are against the Torah. That's the enemies. Simple logic, Abutai. He repays his enemies. Who's he? Who's talking? Hashem, your God. The faithful God, that's who is he. He repays his enemies in his lifetime. Meaning, you're not going to get all of the punishment in Gainom. The repayment starts here. He repays his enemies in his lifetime to make him perish. He shall not delay for his enemy. In his lifetime, he shall repay him. You shall observe the commandments and the decrees and the ordinances that I command you today to perform them. So here we see three different things. One, Hashem says, who are my lovers? Those that are observing my mitzvot. Who are my enemies? Those that are desecrating my mitzvot and therefore I'm going to have to pay them in this world. Both a reward and a punishment in this world is when it's going to begin. It won't end in this world. It'll begin in this world. And therefore, once a person understands what is being said here, surely they're going to do tshuva, observe the commandments, and decrees, and ordinances that I commend you. So what does it all mean? What does it all mean? The Mishnah in Masechet Avot, in chapter 4, Mishnah number 15, or if it's in the art scroll version, it's chapter 19. Still... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, Mishnah number 15, but in arts coach, Mishnah number 19. What does it say? Rabbi Anai Omer, En biyadenu lo mishelvat ereshaim ve'af lo miyesurei tzadikim. Rabbi Anai says, a teaching. 
What does he say? It's not in our power to explain either the tranquility of the wicked or the suffering of the righteous. What does it mean? Now, Rashi lived about 900 years ago. The Gdola Mefarshim, top commentator in Judaism, Nikmara, Mishnayot, Tanakh, and so on. He comments on this. He says, What does it mean? We have a Mishnah. Surely we have a Gemara explaining this Mishnah. So, what does he mean that we, it's not in our power to explain why the wicked people, the Rashaim, have tranquility sometimes? And the righteous, the tzaddikim, have suffering sometimes. What's the point if we don't know? Obviously, we know. So what's the, what's, what is he really trying to tell us? So Ashi says, it's unknown to us the specific strategy that Hashem uses with specific people. Why this one, that? Why that one, something else? Why this wicked person is prospering and another wicked person is not prospering? Why this righteous person is prospering and another righteous person is not prospering. It's unknown to us to specific to know the specific of every single person. Unknown to us. Unless someone's like the Arizal or Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, they could see certain things that the rest of mankind can't. It's a different story. But the average person, even if the person is holy, even the person is a sage, it's not for us to Understand God's ways in every single specific thing. Even Arizal didn't know everything, obviously. But nonetheless, what is really the teaching here? The teaching here, Rashi says, the teaching here is that because we don't know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses this specific wicked person to have tranquility, to have a lot of money, to have a show that's paying you millions, to have all what seems to be success. We don't know why Hashem is choosing to give him this. We have a verse in the Torah that says that Hashem pays his haters in this world to destroy them, which one of the things that we know is that part of that payment is the punishment because he's paying them to, to destroy them. But part of, that pun, part of that payment is actually good stuff. Good stuff that will cause their destruction. But why is he giving them that good stuff? It could be because they made some mitzvot. Or it could be because literally this good is a poison to them. Because they're wicked. We don't know exactly why he's using this specific weapon of tranquility with this wicked person. We don't know. But what we do know for sure, Rashi says, that from there we can conclude that the majority of the punishment for the wicked is the same as the reward for the righteous, which is the next world, after this life. That's where the majority of the punishment is going to come for the wicked. It's going to be in the next world. And why does Hashem choose to give this or that? One of the explanations, Rashi says, an atomic bomb, is that since it says, 
כל ישראל יש להם חלק לעולם הבא. All of Am Yisrael has a share of the world to come. Each person of Am Yisrael has a share. When they're born, they're given a share. Now that share, part of that share is in this world. Part of that share is in the next world. And each one of those parts has two parts, total four parts. How? You have next world. Gan Eden, Yevgenom. Everyone has a share in Gan Eden and in Genom. Heaven and hell. Everyone has that share. Which one you're going to go to is based on how you live your life. And therefore, everyone has a share. You are born with a special room in Genom or a special room in Gan Eden. Which one you're going to go to, that's going to be determined based on your actions. Based on your actions. The same concept with this world. Some people have a share in this world that's difficult, that's like the genome of this world, mental, physical, financial hardship, all types of hardships. And some people have a, a privilege to a decent life. They have no problems with money. They have no problems finding a shiduch and so on and so forth. They have heaven. Some people have more genome than heaven in this world. Some people have more heaven than genome in this world. But the same thing, as the next world, in a sense that you have two choices. What's the difference? In this world, it's decided for you. It's decided for you what you're going to get in this world on Rosh Hashanah. How much money you're going to get and even how much joy you're going to get every year is decided for you on Rosh Hashanah based on your actions. But what happens in the next world is determined based on the entire life you live. It's based on the entire life you live. So why do I need both a heaven and a hell in the next world if I'm planning only to go to heaven? What happens to that other share? Does it just go to the garbage? No, my friend. You see, Rabotai, what Rashi says to us here on this Mishnah, atomic bomb, Every one of us is born with a Gan Eden and a Genom in this world and the next. Right? Now, if I live a good life by following the Torah and Mitzvot, that means regardless of what life I lived here, I had a good life full of good things or I had a difficult life full of agony and pain and headaches. Needless to say, I did the mitzvot, I did what Hashem said, I earned myself a place in heaven. Amen. Say amen. What happened to my genom then? Ah, don't worry about my genom, Pupale. My genom goes to unorthodox. My genom goes to the reshaim. It doesn't go wasted. No, 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 Habibi. The genom has to go somewhere. And guess what? The Gan Eden of unorthodox also has to go somewhere. You can't just have a VIP lounge in heaven wasted. No, unorthodox is heaven. It comes to me. 
It comes to the righteous people. Why? They didn't earn that place. They were wicked. Walking around immodestly, causing people to sin. Going against the Shem, making fun of the Torah. So of course they cannot allow such a prostitute in Gan Eden. So what happens to that section in Gan Eden? Rabotai Karim. That section goes to the righteous people. Wherever those righteous people are, that's where it goes to. Every single person that understands what I just said automatically understands the equation of why do wicked people suffer, why do wicked people prosper sometimes, and sometimes the righteous suffer. Why? Because this world, in so many words, is meaningless as far as reward and punishment. Meaningless. It's just a corridor of real life that's eternal. What you look like if you're fat, or you're skinny, you have long hair, short hair, earrings, this, that, all that other physical stuff that everybody's so worried about, literally, it's meaningless. Why? Because at best, how long are you going to live in this world? 70, 80, 100 years? 120? What's 120 as part of infinity? Nothing. So what ends up happening with the wicked? Why it's so sad to see wicked people? Why we have to be so aggressive against wicked people? Is because perhaps this will be the only thing that wakes them up from their wicked place in the world. What happens is, Rabotai, is that those people, they sacrifice eternity of good for moments of joy. And it's only moments. It's not a life of joy. It's moments of joy. Why? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, el sonav el panav He already starts giving them the punishment in this world. Hence the reason why all of the wicked live a miserable life. Kids overdosing, dying, sickness, all types of nightmares. And not having the tools to deal with it. Now surely you can say, yeah, but some of the righteous people also live a difficult life. But they look at it differently. See, if I see my difficulty as I'm being abused, as I'm being a victim, as I'm miserable, then yeah, that's a miserable life. But if I see my difficulties being a small payment, a small payment that will allow me to live eternity of good without any breaks. Why? Because I wasn't perfect. I made some mistakes. So surely I have to pay for those mistakes. I'd rather pay for those mistakes in this temporary world rather than pay for it in an eternal world. So you see, my difficulties in this world are simply a small payment. A small payment that will allow me to live an eternity of good undestructed without any flaws without any problems without any issues that's what my problems are in this world they're difficult they're painful they're agonizing but they're worth a lot they're worth a fortune because what i do with the rest of my time is i do what hashem says and therefore, earning my place that the Torah promises me, which is an eternity of good. But if a person only does whatever they feel like doing, 
which means they're just seat cheating their desires, seat cheating their fat stomach, seat cheating their sick minds, then what ends up happening? First and foremost, they're desecrating the Torah, so surely they're eliminating any heaven. They're eliminating any heaven. There's no such thing as Jews going to heaven if they're wicked. We do not all go to the same place. There are two parts. There's heaven and then there's hell. Hell is not 12 months. Hell has sections called the seventh chamber that is eternal. And the other first six sections can be for extraordinary long times. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Just think about it. One example from the Torah. Korach. Korach is in Genom until this day. 3,333 years. He's still in Genom today. Korach. So surely Korach is not the only wicked person that ever lived. Korach is still there today. And Korach kept Shabbat. But the Chachamim say that a person, a Jew that desecrates Shabbat goes to Genom permanently. Permanently. No coming out. So... If a person has not observed Shabbat and, and violates the Torah, surely they're eliminating the eternity of good. And not only that, the good that they have in this world is but temporary. Moments of good, just like the TV show. Moments of good, just like a Facebook profile. Moments of good, just like the fake news that's out there. Moments of good. The real reality is full of overdose, disease, heart pain, back pain, head pain, all types of pain, and eventually learning that all you did in your life was simply make yourself a public vessel for filth. Simply a fire hydrant for society. Simply a zona. That's it. Male or female. Simply a tool. That's not even a good one. Not even as good as a bottle. Because at least a bottle, most people use it for good. But you have made yourself automatically bad. You made yourself that way. You chose that way. And what's most painful is that you made your kids that way too. Because your kids admire you. And that's what's going to happen to your kids. The divorces and the rapes and the agony and the disease, and all of the curses that you're bringing on yourself with your choices of going against Hashem and thinking you know better than Hashem. That's the reality, Chabutai. If you want to be jealous of that life, you should seek some type of medical help because there's nothing to be jealous of. So you see, Chabutai, this is why Hashem allows shows like unorthodox and people like that in the world because if you are seeking the truth that falsehood will strengthen you to continue but if you are seeking falsehood then Hashem will show you the way as the Gemara says Abali ta'er mesayim biyado Abali tameh potchim lo Someone that is looking to become purified, they give him a helping hand from heaven. Somebody that's looking to become impure, full of sins and filth, they open a door for him. Get yourself out of here. Go do what you want. No one's going to stop you. You have free choice. You have free choice. It's free for you to choose. 
the consequences surely are not free. This is why the Torah needs to be taught in a way where you can know the real information and make an educated decision based on the full scope of things. If you tell everybody everything is rosy and our life is better because we are righteous, it's not always true because some people's life is not necessarily better because they're righteous in this world, but it will be better. And if you tell them, no, everybody goes to heaven anyway, no matter what you do, then, hey, listen, if no matter what I'm going to heaven, then I'm just going to prefer my life. But if you tell people what the Torah really said, and don't act more merciful than God, don't think for a moment you're more merciful than God, simply tell it how it is. And if you don't know, shut your mouth. Don't talk about life after death if you've never studied the subject. Don't talk about heaven or hell if you've never studied the subject. Don't talk anything if you haven't studied the subject. If you can't quote at least a handful of a handful of sources for what you're saying, simply shut your mouth. Why? You're misleading people to go your way, which could be a mistake. We have to see what Torah says, what the sages say, what the leaders say, and that's how we go. Why? That's where the blessing is. Bauch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.